0: Well, good morning, church. My name is Scott Rowan. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Jason introduce me and connect me to a new position we have called Interim Director of Adult Ministries. And so it's my privilege to serve our church in that capacity. If you were here last week, you saw when Jason introduced me, he put some pictures up on the screen. OF A a FISHING TRIP THAT I TOOK WITH MY SON AND OUR NEPHEW A COUPLE WEEKS AGO. AND I GOT TO TELL YOU A STORY ABOUT THAT TRIP. WE WERE FISHING A LAKE, AND IT'S A BIG LAKE, LIKE 23,000 ACRES. Uh, THAT'S 41 SQUARE MILES. AND uh, ONE OF THE DAYS THAT WE WERE READY TO GO OUT ON THE LAKE WAS REALLY WINDY, uh, 20, 30-MILE-AN-HOUR GUSTS OF WIND. And on a lake that big, it makes significant waves. And so as we were about to uh, embark uh, from our secluded bay, which was calm, to go out on this big lake, my son took his cell phone and connected it to the speakers on my boat. And he blared the song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. (laughs) Now, if you know the story of the Edmund Fitzgerald, it's a a big cargo ship that would uh, transport iron ore from the uh, iron range to other ports in the Great Lakes. And on November 1975, uh, it hit a big storm and big waves, broke into and sank, and all 29 crew members were uh, sent to their watery grave. And so uh, he uh, decided that he was going to blare that song, and so uh, we went out into the waves and started battling the waves with that song uh, blaring over the speakers. And it's a haunting melody, and it goes like this. The legend lives on from the Chippewan down of the big lake they call Gitchigumi. Remember that song? The lake it is said doesn't give up or dead when the gales of November come early. So all day, I heard that song in my mind. <laughs> I could not get that song out of my mind. All day. You can kind of feel the meter of that song and the waves going back and forth, which is what we did in our boat all day, wave back and forth. And by the end of the day, I was tired of that song. I wanted to hear another song. So when we got back to the cabin, I took my cell phone and I called up one of my favorite groups, Shane and Shane. And uh, one of my favorite songs by them is their arrangement of the 23rd song. And so that evening, I started singing Shane and Shane. Um, Surely goodness, surely mercy. And it was just, I sang that song. And by the end of the day, I was singing the truth of Psalm 23 instead of the tragedy of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Now, I share that story with you because it illustrates a principle that I would like to unpack with you this morning as our message unfolds. And that principle is this. IF YOU HAVE A THOUGHT OR AN IDEA OR MAYBE YOU'RE EMBROILED IN A HABIT AND YOU WANT TO GET RID OF THAT HABIT, THE BEST WAY TO DO IT IS TO REPLACE IT WITH SOMETHING ELSE. NOW, REMEMBER THAT PRINCIPLE AS WE WORK OUR WAY THROUGH THE SERMON THIS MORNING. THE TEXT FOR TODAY IS THE TENTH COMMANDMENT WHICH IS FOUND IN EXODUS CHAPTER 20 VERSE 17. Here's what it says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's word. Pray with me. Lord, now as we embark upon a message on your word I pray, Holy Spirit, you would use your word in a mighty way today. It did give me the ability and the strength to communicate it clearly, that it would find rich and fertile soil and take root and produce fruit in all who hear. We give this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we conclude our series on the Ten Commandments. And... um, we talk about destructive desires. Uh, Literally, the word translated covet is intense desires. Uh, Looking at something, perceiving it as very desirable, intensely desirable. And uh, when that word is used, it could mean good desires or it could mean sinful desires. You remember when God created the Garden of Eden, he put lots of trees in the garden. And Genesis 2 tells us that they were desirable to the eyes and they were good for food. And it was a good thing for Adam and Eve to desire those trees. But then there was this other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve were told not to desire that one, but Eve fell into a strong desire for something that God didn't want her to desire. She wanted to eat of that tree because she wanted to be like God and to know the difference between good and evil. That's the same thing that Satan Lucifer did. We all know how that turned out. Um, But coveting could be either the good desires or it could be evil desires. Strong desires... Can refer to that which is good or evil, and it it depends on the context of how you interpret it. And so, of course, in the context of the Tenth Commandment, do not, we know that uh, Moses and God are telling us something not to do, don't have certain desires. Well, I was thinking about a title for my message this morning, and I thought, well, it makes total sense to say let's have the title, Freedom from Sinful and Evil Desires. That makes total sense. But I was thinking, eh, that title is actually, it's kind of expected. That's what you'd expect me to say, and it's not very descriptive. So I came across 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And it says this, But those who desire, there's that word desire, to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many successes, senseless, and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And I thought, there it is. That's what I want to talk about today, about coveting, about desires, about evil desires. Evil desires are not only sinful, they'll destroy your life if you don't deal with them. Now, sexual desire can be godly. In the context of marriage between one woman and one man, it's a good thing to desire your spouse. Outside of marriage, it is a sinful desire, and uh, David knew that. But he had a sinful desire for Bathsheba, and when he took her, it destroyed his life. Psalm 32 tells us that his bones wasted away. Day and night, he was weighed down with guilt. He lost the respect of all of his military commanders who knew what he did to Bathsheba's husband. His baby son died. There was family strife and continually in his life. In fact, his son, Absalom, tried to overthrow him, and he embarrassed him publicly in front of the whole nation. His evil desire for Bathsheba destroyed him. and that's, that's what I want to get across today. Coveting a strong desire outside of the will of God can destroy us. We not only notice what others have, but we want what others have. And further in, wanting what others have we think about how we might acquire what others have. And putting that all together will destroy us unless we deal with it. Let's look at the 10th commandment specifically and see what we're supposed to not covet. First, we're not supposed to covet our neighbor's house. Now, this is kind of a dead-end coveting, isn't it? We, we live next door to our neighbor and... Uh, they live in the house, and it's not for sale. So it really doesn't do much good to covet that house. I mean, it's kind of a dead end, right? But let's go a little bit deeper into this thought. What if we live next to our neighbor and we say, boy, I wish I had a, a backyard like theirs. Boy, I wish I had a deck furniture like theirs boy, I wish I had a fireplace like they do and, and a third bedroom like they do, and begin to, we begin to dream about what our neighbors have. And then we come across a real estate ad that advertises a house that's like we've been dreaming about from our neighbor, and we, we say, ah, there we go. So we sell our house and buy a house that was just like our neighbors. And then when we get into our new house, we never, we notice our next neighbor's house. <laughs> doesn't work, does it? Coveting our neighbor's house can get into our lives and it can destroy us. Next, don't covet your neighbor's wife. This is another dead end. By the way, as some men in here probably find out that some other guy is coveting our wives is a way to get a fat lip. <laughs> coveting a neighbor's wife usually doesn't work out, but here's what we do. Boy, I wish I had a wife like my neighbor's wife. Body shape like her, personality like her, interest that she has. And for women, boy, I wish my husband was like my neighbor's husband. I wish she would treat me like my neighbor's husband treats his wife. And we begin to covet and have strong desires for someone other than our spouse. And then when the opportunity comes, we begin to have an affair and divorce our spouse and destroy our family and destroy our lives. Tenth Commandment says, don't do that. Don't fall in to destructive desires. And then Tenth Commandment says, don't covet servants and livestock, which is uh, the way to measure wealth back in biblical days. In other words, don't try to be rich. Don't covet riches. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look what it says. For the love of money is the root of all evils, and some people in their desire for it have strayed from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. Lusting after riches, the New Testament translates the word for covet as lust. And so we lust... To be rich, we lust to have material things. My wife had a co-worker in the insurance company where she worked who told her a story about her husband who wanted a new Mustang, a great big, you know, $80,000 Mustang. Now, wanting a new car is not bad. It's a good thing. You save for it. My wife and I have a car fund. You try carefully to figure out what your needs are, how it fits into your budget. But this guy coveted a Mustang, so he zeroed out his 401k. Went out and paid cash for his Mustang, but he didn't realize (laughs) that the income from his 401k had to be taxed. He also didn't realize that his income significantly went up and put him in a higher tax bracket. And then he didn't realize that, oh, he doesn't have any retirement plans. But he's got this new Mustang in his driveway, which in four, five, six years will not be worth $80,000 anymore. Desiring to be rich. Coveting what others have. Bible says, don't do it. But coveting says, I should have what they have. And I'm going to find a way to get it. That's the destructive desire of coveting. It's an ungodly preoccupation with the advantages of others. It's a smoldering anger at the blessings of others. It's a distorted and corrupted desire to acquire what others have, even by stealing or lying or adultery, the ninth, the eighth, the seventh commandment. Coveting even leads to murder. Look at what James says in chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire, covet, and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The sixth commandment. Coveting is totally self-centered, selfishly neglecting our responsibilities to our parents, neglecting the worship of God on the Sabbath, which is the fifth and the fourth commandment. Coveting places things and people above God, making them personal idols, worshiping them and using them to uh, promote our name rather than God's name, the third the second and the first commandment. Evil, destructive desires break all the commandments. Coveting in churches disrupts and ruins churches because it derails all the one another commands. Coveting ruins marriages. Coveting tears people apart. Coveting is a sad sin, it's a feeling of unhappiness. At the blessing and good fortune of others. It's the painful and often resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else. And when you're around other people, you're just sad all the time. Coveting is a lonely sin. It separates us from other people. It keeps us at a distance, presents us from genuine fellowship. Coveting barrier to transparency. Coveting creates unhealthy competition sad, lonely. Is this present in your life in any way? Maybe there is a big habit that you have that you say, wow, I'm, I'm really falling into this trap. Or maybe it just comes into your life every once in a while. Let me encourage you, if and when it does, don't play games with it. It'll destroy your life. So what I'd like to suggest today is the way to break free from the destructive desires known as coveting is to replace them with better desires, like replacing one song with another song. Destructive desires will plague us until we replace them with better desires. So what are the better desires with which we can replace these sinful, evil, destructive desires that Psalm, or that uh, the Tenth Commandment tells us. Well, I'd like to turn to Psalm 73 and follow the life of the psalmist who wrote Psalm 73 as he battled against this idea of coveting. Let's look, first of all, at the birth of coveting in his life. Verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That word envious, if you do a Hebrew word study, you'll find it means you want what they have in order to acquire it. There's that sense of acquire that's exactly what coveting is and this psalm writer said I almost fell into that trap I almost slipped into that trap but I recognized it here's what he recognized in his life verse 4 he looked around the other people and he said they have no pains until death their bodies are fat and sleek they're not in trouble as others are They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness, and their hearts overflow with follies. All they do is eat, drink, and make merry. Boy, those guys, they got it made. They scoff and speak with malice, loftily threaten oppression. They're bullies. They bully people around in life. Therefore, people who support them and their group, they defend them. They come back to them and find no fault in them. And then when they think about God, they shake their fist at him. He says, well, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. They're rich, and then look what he says, verse thirteen: "All in vain have I kept my heart clean, and washed my hands in innocence." I've been doing my best. I've been trying to follow what God wants me to do. I've been doing all the right things, and here I am struggling in life, just trying to make ends meet. <laughs> and those guys over there—they're—they're—they're they're, they're the bad guys. Looks like they've got it made. And the last verse says, every day, life just blasts me. Every day, I get rebuked by life. Every day, I get beat up. Boy, I want what they have. But he caught himself. Look at verse 16 and 17. When I thought about how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He says, I was tired of fighting this battle, until I went into the sanctuary of God. And do you see the change in his attitude there? He was worn out by his battle against coveting and took the decisive step to enter into the sanctuary of God. Now, most Bible scholars believe that this means that he went into worship. He began to pray. He began to sing praises to God. He began to... Thank God for his grace, reflecting on the joy and peace from the forgiveness of sins. This is where he was able to break free from those evil desires and actually from wanting what others have. And here's the catch. Verse 25 of the next paragraph. The better desires... That will replace the evil desires of coveting is desire for God. Look at verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Now we'll discuss these other verses in this paragraph, but I want you to see desire for God wanting God desiring God longing for God it's not coveting it's a good desire a desire for God and, and the desire for God is all over the Bible let me just give you three examples Psalm 42 as a deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you hear the desire for God in his heart? Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He, He longs for God. He desires for God. And then we've got the prophet Habakkuk who looks around life and he goes, I just don't get it, God. Life is is not the way it's supposed to be and I'm suffering and your people are suffering and and these Babylonians are coming. It doesn't make sense, God. Don't you feel that way sometimes when you're in a situation and you're just struggling and, and everyone else seems to have it easy and you've got it hard? Look at what Habakkuk says. Though the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Boy, (laughs) that's a sorry state, isn't it? What does he say? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will make the joy in God of my salvation. He replaces the longing for something else with desire for God. Brothers and sisters, I believe that this is the strategic element in living the Christian life. It frees us from all of the stuff that we're confronted with in life when we recognize that Desiring God is a better desire. We're free from getting pulled down. and You know, the psalmist says, I almost, I almost fell into it. I almost destroyed my life, but I recognized it and I saw it and I began to desire God. Now, I've often struggled with what does it mean to desire God? That's kind of a a spiritual thing, you know. How do you desire God? How do you grow in your desire for God? But I see in this text, in this last paragraph, four disciplines that help us increase our desire for God. And I chose that word discipline on purpose because it takes effort. It It takes energy. It's a discipline to... Desire God. It's a discipline to put God as being more important and to find our fulfillment in God. So how is, it, how is it that we can nurture this desire for God and get free from the destruction of evil desires? Four disciplines first. Verses 23 and 24, rejoice in God's presence. The psalmist says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Rejoicing in God's presence. Wanting what God has given us. The presence of God is God's gift to us. His presence is ours all the time. Notice the text says continually. God is always with us. Every time we are drawn toward covenanting, rejoice in the truth that God's presence is all around us. And when we are filled with God's presence, we won't want what we don't have. Look at Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I can't imagine not having the presence of God with me. I reflect on Emmanuel, God with me. And all the time, the first thing thought that comes out of my mind when I see something really cool is go, wow, God, that's that's awesome. He's the first one I think about, because I'm practicing the presence of God. When I want something, or when I'm gripped with fear, First thing go, God, this doesn't look good. (laughs) This, This isn't going so hot. Are you there? Yes. Practice the presence of Christ. When I wake up at night, Lord, I can't sleep. Help me figure out how to get back to sleep. When I sin, which happens, And I confess and repent of my sin. You know what happens? God runs to us like the father ran to the prodigal son and embraces him and says, let me renew my presence in your life. Practice the presence of God. You see, when we practice the presence of God, we begin to want him more and more. Boy, that was really cool how God showed up and how God was with me. I want that more. I want that more. I want that more, and pretty soon our desire and our passion is going to be for God. Practice the presence of God. Second, rejoice in God's promise of heaven. Reflect on the assurance that on the other side, verse 24, you will receive me into glory. After the death of Jesus, there was the resurrection And we who are united with him by faith after our death will enjoy resurrection as well. In heaven, we will know perfect joy and experience God's glory. And thinking about that makes us want to go there. Heaven will be amazing. It'll be astounding. It'll be overwhelming. But it will not be strange. Going to heaven will be like, will not be like going to a foreign country where we don't know the language or the customs or the people. It'll be like coming home, a place where we belong, a place like, like, like we belong here. This is, this is heaven, and think about being with God in heaven. C.S. Lewis, the last paragraph of his um, series, The Chronicles of Narnia, writes on the last page of the last story, the last battle. And he writes this uh, When Peter and Susan and Lucy are killed in a train wreck, this is what he says The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. In other words, when they died and went to heaven, C.S. Lewis says, I, I can't write about that. He says, For us, this is the end of the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. That's what you say at the end of a story. and They all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover in the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Don't you want to go there? Don't you want to have that? And the more we long for that, the more we desire to be there, the more we desire God. And when we're desiring going to heaven, when we're desiring God like that, we won't have the evil desires that destroy our lives. Third discipline. Rejoice in God's strength, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God's strength, he is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I love to sing this song from Isaiah 40, um, You Are the Everlasting God. Don't you love that song? The first line, strength Will rise as we wait upon the Lord. And the last line, you raise us up on wings like eagles. That means when we're struggling in life, when we're looking around and we see everybody else prosper, we see everybody else, man, they've got a life. I wish I had that life. And then we meditate on God's strength. And God tells us in times of our weakness, that's when. That's when I am strongest in you. And think about the strength of God that comes when we are weak. Think about how he raises us up on wings like eagles. And when that happens, we will be able to overcome coveting. I pray that we would realize that as long as we desire anything other than God, we'll never be satisfied with his presence. The promise of heaven will never be good enough for us and we we'll are constantly finding ourselves grasping for strength in our own power um, and, and think about unattainable expectations of this world. Aren't you tired of the pressure that the world puts on you to be a certain way? Think about the strength that you have in God. Think about he overcomes those things we'll find ourselves desiring God. Destructive desires will be strangers in our lives. Fourth discipline, rejoice in God's goodness and ultimate justice, verses 27 and 28. How many times do we desire and say, it's not right. You think that about life? That's just not right. They have this, and I don't. It's just not right for, for people who are good people, good Christian people. It's just not right for them to get cancerous. It's, it's just not right for them to suffer persecution. It's just not right. And so we desire something different for them. Well, there's two untruths that I want to talk about when we desire The ways of the world thinking about how hard our life is the first untruth is that God is not fair you ever thought about that God isn't fair and and you're not fair that's an untruth this thought suggests that God doesn't have my best interest at heart with this circumstance yes he does God loves somebody else more than he loves me. No, he doesn't. God plays favorites. No, he doesn't. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. God is good. Come on. All the time? Yeah, he is. But that doesn't mean that God is duty-bound to give us everything we want he gives us what he wants nor does it imply that others are taking up all of god's goodness and there's nothing left for me <laughs> there's lots of goodness left for me the truth is is that god is good and all things work together for our ultimate good then there's another untruth that we think when we say that god is not fair that life is wrong, and that is that God is not just. You ever thought about that? God, you're not just. The scales of justice are imbalanced. God, you're not just. Listen to what the psalmist says, verse 27 and 28. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish... You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Now, certainly, we don't want anyone to perish. We want all to come to repentance and come to know Jesus as their Savior and be freed from the hassles and the pressures and the evilness of this world. But when people shake their fist at God like the psalmist said they were doing, when they curse God, when they rebel against God, when they make themselves to be God, God's offended. And there will be justice. We can count on that. God will perfectly judge us all. Those of us who are in Christ will be judged and sent into our reward in heaven in his presence forever. Those outside of Christ, they will be judged and cast into an existence apart from God forever. We think about that. That puts the troubles in this life in a different perspective, doesn't it? I don't want to have what they have. It's just going to destroy my life. I want to desire God because huh, God has my best in mind, and I know that God will even the score one day. Well, let me wrap up our discussion on coveting and evil desires. Remember, I'm suggesting that the way to get free from Coveting the evil and sinful desires of coveting, is to replace them with another desire, the desire for God. And when we do that, we'll be free from all the destruction that sinful desires bring. Professor Joel Rigney, who was a professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary, writes on this issue of evil desires and coveting, and he makes three declarations. One, I do not need to grasp for the talents and gifts of others. I do not need to covet my neighbor's spouse or house or family or ministry or opportunities. I'm not defined by the abilities of others. I'm defined by the grace of God. Isn't that good? Second, Therefore, I will refuse to measure myself by a false standard. I will resist the compulsive and relentless urge to compete with everyone under the sun, especially those who are called to do the same thing I'm called to do. Third, I will put, a, I will put to death malicious dreams about the downfall and failure of others. By savoring the sure knowledge that God is lavish in his grace and that he has promised to graciously, freely, abundantly give to me and them all things in his beloved son. Boy, you, you focus on those declarations and you're free. You're free from these destructive desires in life. I'd summarize that the key to breaking the chains of covenant is to replace it with a desire and longing for a more intimate relationship with God. And we accomplish that in four disciplines. Rejoice in his presence, we won't wrongly desire the stuff of this world. Rejoice in his promise of heaven, our treasure will be in heaven, not in this world. Rejoice in his strength, we have by his grace and rejoice in his goodness and in his justice. And when this is our lifestyle, we will be free from the evil, destructive desires of coveting. I'd like to pray for you, pray for me too, as we think about this issue. And I'd like us to really get serious with God as we close. Remember, this 10th commandment really is a summary of all 10 commandments. And as we conclude our series on the 10 commandments, I think it's interesting to note that the first commandment talks about honoring God, the last commandment talks about desiring God. Is this our lifestyle? I pray that we would grow in our hunger and thirst. God, Lord God, I thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, it's easy for us to talk about these four disciplines. It's easy to talk about desiring you. It's harder to make it happen. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here listening to this message today, and if they've had their, their conscious conscience tweaked a little bit if they've, if they've thought whoa I've, I've fallen into that practice I've fallen into that I pray that as they leave today they'd be able to say what the song I almost fell but I didn't because I'm replacing those desires with desire for you increase my love for you Increase my desire for you. And may you be honored in my life as I live for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's close our service by standing together for our benediction, taken from Ephesians chapter 3. And now unto him who was able to do immeasurably more than we would ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, and God's people said. God bless. Have a great day, is our prayer. Hey, friends, thanks for joining us online today. If you have further questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to give financially to the Ministries of Lakes Free Church, I encourage you to visit our website, lakesfree.org. There you'll also find information regarding our upcoming events. You can access all of our past sermon series, along with a host of other valuable resources. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our Sunday services or other events. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you.